long do you preach, brother? 43 minutes normally, somewhere around there. And so if I do that today, we've got a baptism at the end here. I'll, I won't take that long today. But at the beginning of the chapter, we see some friends brought their, brought their friend to Jesus. And when that happened, we see that the scribes, when they heard that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, they were not happy with Jesus. How, and they thought within themselves, they reasoned within themselves, how can he say that? We looked at two weeks ago, the calling of Matthew, the tax collector. And we saw that the scribes and the Pharisees, they had some problems with it. Verse, four, verse 16 says, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners, they didn't talk to Jesus yet, they talked to his disciples. How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Jesus knew what was going on, so we see in chapter number 2, we see a lot of people, the religious crowd, not happy with Jesus and the things that Jesus was doing. The fact that he told the man his sins were forgiven him, but he had every right to because he's God. We see in those verses he ate with publicans and Aren't you glad he did? I am glad he did. And sometimes we get looking at ourselves thinking that we're better. We're no better than anyone else. Don't ever get thinking that. Well, my sin's not like their sin. I think on Sunday nights in the book of Romans we cover it. All sin is sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's none that are righteous, no, not one. The difference is who you put your faith in. And so today we get to verse number 18. We're going to read these verses and dive right in. And it says, And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say to him, So now you've got John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees coming to ask Jesus a question here. And they're not super thrilled with Jesus. Kind of interesting when you look at that. It says, and they come to him saying, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up take away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilt, and the bottles will be marred. But the new wine must be put into new bottles." You look at those verses like, where in the world are we going? New bottles, old clothes, new clothes, old bottles, new bottles. Jesus is talking about wine. Was Jesus drinking alcohol there? We'll explain all that to you this morning in the message. But what we see in this passage of Scripture, once again, is another tough spot between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. This time it's not about Jesus telling them or saying that a man's sins were forgiven. It has nothing to do with Jesus eating with publicans and sinners. It has to do with some of the traditions that the religious people had. Now when we look at this, how dare Jesus ignore their rituals? They're offended by this. And you've got to understand something. 
it seems to me that in life there's no type of person that's harder to deal with than a religious person. You take a person who's held in the grip of tradition, rituals, legalism, and if you step on their little belief system, you will soon discover that they can be as mean as the devil himself. It won't take you very long to realize that that tradition has penetrated their heart and brought, and you got to understand something, that's what they look to instead of Christ. Now, when we look at that, that's the type of people that Jesus is dealing with here. He's facing criticism from a group of people in the Pharisees that did not know God. They followed some rules, they tried to follow the law, but they did not know God. They had their rules, they had their traditions, and the things that they've been taught, but they did not know the life-changing relationship that comes from Jesus Christ. We think about today in our world, we think of sacraments. A sacrament is a religious ceremony or a ritual. And usually people observe sacraments, believe that those things, the rituals or that tradition, brings favor upon those who observe them. For instance, some people believe that baptism can save your soul. Catholic, Catholics that I know, maybe you have some Catholic friends or family, observe seven different sacraments that they believe can produce salvation. And in reality, God's salvation only comes through grace and not through tradition or anything else. So this morning, for a few minutes, I want to preach on this subject that Jesus is greater than our traditions. He's greater than our traditions. Number one, this morning, we see Jesus and the rebuke. We see Jesus and the rebuke. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say to him, why do the disciples of Jesus, uh, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? We're told in these verses that not only the Pharisees, but these John the Baptist's own disciples right here come. And they were known for fasting. It was a part of their lifestyle. Fasting is supposed to be a time of self-denial. It's a time to get our minds and our hearts focused on spiritual things. That's the point behind a fast. We'll talk more about this here in a second. And during a period of fasting, and some of us might know what that's about, and some may never have done it in your life. So I'm going to explain a little bit to you about fasting as we go through here. But fasting is a time, it's denying the flesh and seeking God and making God a priority. So let's say you fast from food. Some people do that. Now let me help you out this morning. If you're diabetic or you have health issues, I don't suggest you fast from food. There's other things, and we'll talk about fasting a little bit more in a minute. But sometimes you'll fast from food. And so what will you do? So let's say there's a day that I fast. That day, around lunchtime, instead of getting a sandwich or a burger, I'm hungry right now just talking about those things. And it always seems like the days I do try to fast are the days that I'm really hungry. I mean, a normal day, I get to skip lunch, no big deal. But today... I'm fasting, and that's the day where my flesh is like, oh, you need to eat today. But it's a time of forsaking the flesh and prioritizing the Lord. So I would take during my lunchtime, instead of eating, I would pray. That's what I do. Or I'll read my Bible more. 
during that time. But you got to understand something. Fasting was never commanded in the law. You cannot find it. It was never commanded to do. In fact, if you say the Bible refers or it infers to it just a little bit, it might be around the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16.29 where God told the people to afflict their souls. And ye shall afflict your souls. That might be a place talking about fasting around the Day of Atonement. But there is no scriptural command, thou shalt fast. It's not found anywhere. That might be a surprise to some of you. The Pharisees, what they would do in Jesus' day is they would fast two days per week. And before we go, I did I give you letter A? I didn't give you letter A. We're going to actually talk about fasting, the ritual. The ritual they're talking about. Sorry, I skipped ahead of myself. I'm like, man, we haven't even gotten to letter A yet, and I'm already get moving far into my notes. And so that was my own fault. But as we talk about fasting, the Pharisees fasted two days a week. You can read Luke 18, verse number 12. But basically the Pharisee, it says, I fast twice in the week. I gave tithes of all that I possess. This is the Pharisee speaking. They normally fasted on Mondays and Thursdays from 6 in the morning to 6 at night. And their fasting wasn't done in a sincere effort to seek the Lord. They fasted as an attempt to impress God and to impress people around them. They would fast for a 12-hour period, and then when that 12-hour period was over, they became gluttons as soon as the fast was over. And the Pharisees believed that God would see their self-denial and bless them for their sacrifice. And they did it so that others could see what they were doing. The book of Matthew talks about in chapter 6, verse number 16 to 18, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites. Of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. They would, they would walk around. What's wrong with you today? I'm fasting today. I'm famished. They would look the part to get people to see what, what, what they look like. They want everyone to know what they were doing. But you've got to understand something. They, the Pharisees, they expected the common man to follow their lead and fast like they did. What did these men do? They elevated a tradition of man until it became the same level of authority as the law, even though the law did not command it. While we're on the subject of fasting, I'm just going to give you a couple thoughts about fasting. I don't know if I put this in your notes, but this is something for you. The first thing is this. Fasting is not nowhere commanded in the Bible, but it's not forbidden to do either. I think fasting is a good thing, but it's not commanded anywhere. Second thought is this. Fasting is taking time that would normally be spent eating, sleeping, enjoying some other physical pleasure and using that for time of prayer, Bible study, and meditation. Another thought, fasting is the result of proper spiritual priorities. It's saying that my relationship with God is more important than these physical activities that I'm doing. 
that's the purpose behind fasting. Which leads to this. Fasting does not impress God. Nor does it persuade God to do anything. A lot of Christians, I'm going to fast because I need this from God. That's not why you fast. You can't persuade God. You can't. Sorry, you can't. Your method, your motivation behind why you fast is important. It should be spiritual in matter. There's some things in my life that I need to stop. I need to draw closer to God. That's what fasting's for. A lot of times I'm fasting because I need this. <laughs> you got it all backwards. It's not how God intended fasting to be. Fasting only has merit if it's used to seek God's face for a personal time of spiritual growth. Your motive behind it matters. And I hear a lot of Christians, I'm fasting because I need this. You're missing the whole point. Another thing, when you fast, the whole world doesn't need to know about it. Keep it between you and God. You do it in front of man, you got your reward right there. God sees what you do. And so just a few thoughts on fasting. We see the ritual, we see letter B, we see the rebuke. Getting back to verse number 18, Jesus and his disciples are enjoying a feast at Matthew's house. That's where they're at, right? So maybe this feast is being held on a Monday or a Thursday. That could be what's going on. And this upset the Pharisees. The disciples of John are also upset at this time. And John had been arrested by this time. Is he still alive? Had he been put to death by this time? I'm not quite sure. They're mourning the absence of John, and they're upset that Jesus is not mourning with them. That's what's going on around us here. And, and you've got to understand something. The problem is for them is Jesus didn't keep their rules. He didn't walk to the beat of their drum. These men had already decided how good people were supposed to live and what they were supposed to do, but Jesus refused to allow himself to be pressed into their religious mold. And that's important to remember this morning. He refused to allow dead rituals to become the focus of his life and ministry. And may I just remind you this morning, there is nothing wrong with fasting. There's nothing wrong with other religious traditions that we might have or things that we do. It is when those rituals or when those traditions become lifeless routines that trouble arises. The ritual often takes place of God. We elevate, and we do it in our Baptist churches as well. We elevate traditions above that of God. We place our tradition above what the scriptures say. I like it this way. Well, you might like it that way, but that's not Bible. Don't ever confuse the two. That's what's taking place right here. You've got to understand something, that a ritual can keep a lost person from trusting in God because the ritual is for the ones who observe it. Some rituals are even evil to their core, like lighting candles for the dead and praying to saints and statues is heresy. And I'll leave that there. But even things like singing in church, praying in church, going to church, reading the Bible can become nothing more than a lifeless routine in our lives if the focus is on the ritual or the tradition and not on the Lord. The motive behind what we do is so important. Number two, we see Jesus and his response. Jesus and his response. If we look at verse number 19. The Bible says, 
And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. We see the response from Jesus. Letter A, we see an explanation. Jesus, he responds to their criticism by talking about a wedding. So interesting today. I really thought that Joe Mark was supposed to be here this week. If he was wrong or I was wrong, I don't know who was wrong, but it ended up last week. God knew all along, and it's all good with me. One of the reasons why I thought it was this week is because I've got two sermons to preach this morning, two services to lead, and then this afternoon at 3 o'clock, I have a wedding to perform, and I've got church tonight. So I thought that it's perfect. He'll be here to preach, and then I'll just do the wedding in the afternoon, get back for evening service, it'll all work out just right. doesn't quite work out that way. But for the wedding today, I go to the wedding, we have the ceremony, I think they're having a family reception after, and that's about it. But weddings in those days were a lot different. Nowadays, when the wedding's done, the couple goes on their honeymoon and everything is done. In Jesus' day, as soon as the wedding was over, the newlyweds hosted their family and friends in a week of celebration of the wedding. They would spend seven days of feasting and being treated like, kings and like a king and a queen. Life in those desert lands was difficult at best, so people worked from sunup to sundown just to survive. When the wedding came, the married couple was treated like royalty for that week, and it was the best week of their lives, and they enjoyed it with their family and friends. Jesus tells his critics here that his presence among his people is like the bridegroom around his friends. Hey, when the bridegroom's there, when Jesus is there, it's not a time to mourn. It's not a time for self-denial. It's not a time for sadness. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time to rejoice. It's a time for gladness. But to be sad, to mourn, to fast, while the Lord was present, would be out of character. Because the Lord's with them. There are a couple lessons that we can glean from these verses. You think about this, the Jews, they were so caught up in their rituals and their traditions that they missed the blessed reality right before them. They missed it. Had they realized who Jesus was, they would have ceased their fasting and joined in the feasting. Sometimes we're guilty of the same thing. We do the church thing out of habit and fail to recognize that God's presence is with us all the time all the time. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a wonderful thing? If we could realize and recognize the fact that his constant presence is with us, it would transform every moment of our lives. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always there. You got no reason to be sad today. The king of kings is with you. But they got so caught up in their rituals and their traditions, they missed out on what was right before their eyes. The other thing is this, the fasting of the Jews may have impressed those who saw it, but the Lord wasn't impressed. You know why? He knew their hearts. He knew that they weren't seeking Him. They are still trapped in their sins. The good things we do in religion and worship are nothing but hypocrisy if they're not done out of a heart that sincerely wants to seek the Lord. Singing, 
going to church, preaching, teaching, all become hypocritical on our part if they do not arise out of a genuine desire to worship and glorify God. You get up and sing a special in church, and you do it for your own recognition, you're a hypocrite when you get up behind this pulpit because you're doing it for self-glory, not for the Lord. If I get up behind this pulpit and preach for my fame, I'm a hypocrite. God knows our hearts. He knows the motive behind everything that we do. We see letter A, we see an explanation. Letter B, we see an expectation. So Jesus says, since I'm here, there's no need to be sad. There's no need for them to fast because they're with me. But we see in verse number 20, we see a reality. It says, but the day will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. Jesus tells them that there's going to come a day when he will leave and he'll be taken away and his disciples will be sorrowful in that day. That phrase, shall be taken away, means a sudden removal. Jesus is talking about the day that was coming of his crucifixion. In that dark and dreadful day, his followers would be mourning. They would fast. It'd be a day of sadness. But that wasn't right now. The bridegroom was with them. Rejoice. Be glad. Jesus was there. There would be a time for that to take place. When Jesus is there in the presence of the Lord, there's no place for sadness, grief, or sorrow. Man, wouldn't that revolutionize our worship services or our church if we'd abandon the dead, dusty traditions that don't honor the Lord and we'd get some excitement in us and worship Him like we should? That's just a little thought there. Number three and lastly this morning, we see Jesus in His revelation. Verse 21 and 22. To make the point crystal clear, Jesus uses two vivid illustrations from everyday life for these people. Now, these illustrations are a little harder for us to understand because it just doesn't quite fit for us today. You know, when we think of clothes, you know, back in the day, I remember as a kid, how many of you remember having patches sewn or pressed on your clothes? I remember that. Kids nowadays buy their pants with holes in it. And you pay extra money for, yeah, you pay extra money for holy pants. As a kid, I could have sold my pants for a lot of money with all the holes that were in them. Less material, the more it costs. And then kids don't wear patches anymore. They get a hole in their pants and they get new pants before too long. Kids are spoiled nowadays. But you got to understand something. What Jesus is trying to do here, he wants the Jews to understand that he didn't come to preach a new and improved Judaism. He came to bring them something completely new. He came to bring them grace. Grace was not, re- grace was not added to the law. Grace is completely separate from the law. You can't mix the two together. And the Jews have been trying to do that for a very long time. He wants them to know that their religion, their rituals, and their rules have absolutely no place in what he was going to accomplish. Jesus wants these people to know that 
what he's doing and what they are doing is so different, they could never be connected. So when we think about that, he gives two illustrations. The first one, letter A, is we see the illustration of the clothes. Verse 21. No man that soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filleth it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. The first illustration was something that they would have all been familiar with. Clothes were thrown out when they became worn and torn. Every mother was a seamstress, and what they would do is she would patch these clothes so their lifespan would extend. But in Bible days in their clothes, if that patch got wet, it would shrink. And then the pants would be no better than what they were before. So you might have a little life in the clothes by adding this patch. But if a kid ever got wet anywhere, that patch would shrink and it would be no good. And so you think about this, if a person had torn and worn a garment, sewed on a new piece of cloth on a patch, the first time it got wet, it would shrink. And when it did, it would pull apart from the older, weaker garment, and the hole would be worse than before. And you think about this, both the new patch and the old clothes would be no better. What's the spiritual principle right here? The old, the law, cannot be blended with the new. Judaism, with all of its external rituals and rules, could not contain Christianity with its emphasis on an internal relationship with Christ. Jesus didn't come to blend the teaching of the law and the teaching of grace. He came to fulfill the law and to deliver his people from the bondage of man-made rules and rituals. In the early church in the book of Acts, we see those that try, they were called Judaizers. And they tried to mix the two together. They taught that salvation was possible only when a person believed on Jesus and they kept the law also. They had to be circumcised. We've talked about that. They had to obey these dietary laws. They observed the Sabbath and live like a Jew. And they taught that Christianity was basically just an extension of Judaism. And Jesus, through this illustration, saying, no, 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 no. You don't put a new patch on old clothes. We could go further into things, but I'm running out of time this morning. You could, Acts chapter 15, did I put that there for you, verse 19 through 21? That You can read that later on, and you can see in the church there, the problem arose there, and there's some clear instructions on how to deal with the matter. And what we got to understand is this, the rules and rituals of the ancient Jews are no longer enforced. We're not obligated to keep the law to please God because we cannot keep the law to please God. Righteousness is as filthy rags. What was the law for? To show us our need of Jesus. It was our schoolmaster. And so, see, one of the things that we got to keep in mind this morning is that even the best religious works that we could ever do, or the best that these Jews could ever do, were nothing more than moth-eaten garments 
rotten in the sight of God, and Jesus came to give lost men a robe of righteousness that only he could bring. You could not take the old and mix the new with it, which leads to letter B, the illustration of the containers. Now, this one's a little bit different for us completely where we wouldn't understand this. You can't have, in, in Bible days, guess what? They didn't have plastic or glass bottles. They didn't. I know that's kind of a shock to some of us here this morning, but they didn't. When the Bible's referring to wine right here, it's talking about before it was fermented, and we're going to talk about why here in just a minute. So this would be, this could just be simple grape juice put into these containers because the fermentation, it would expand. We'll talk about that here in a second. But when we look at this, in ancient days, what they would use was, they would use skins to make a bottle. So when a goat was killed, the skin was cut around the neck and the legs and was pulled off in one piece. The leg openings would be sewed shut and sealed. And what would happen is the goat's neck would be used as a spout. The hide would be partially tanned. Then this hide would be used as a wine bottle or a wine skin. The hide was very elastic and would expand as the wine fermented and the gases in there expanded. Now, this is what would happen. These wine skins, because it's just a skin, over time would dry out and they became very brittle. So if new wine was poured into an old wine skin and if it began to ferment, the old wine skin wouldn't stretch anymore because it was brittle. And so what would happen is it would burst and you would lose the bottle as well as the wine you poured into the bottle. Because you couldn't take new wine and put it into an old bottle. What Jesus says here is new wine must go into a new bottle. Now when you think about this here, you can see the spiritual principles very clear. Judaism with its rituals and rules could not contain the ministry and the message of Jesus Christ. He didn't come to pour the new wine of the Holy Spirit into hearts that were trying to please God by keeping rules and traditions of men. Jesus came to bring new life to lost sinners. He came to take old wineskins of our flesh and make us new by his power. Don't miss what I'm saying right here. When he transformed us, and we were born again. We became a new creature. Old things were passed away, and all things become new. You see, the Holy Spirit comes in then into the new. Think about that. You can't take an old wineskin and pour the new wine in there. It can't contain it. You can't take the old flesh and pour the Holy Spirit into that flesh, it can't contain it. So what did God have to do? He, through His Son, through what He did on the cross, made us new creatures in Him. And that new creature that's inside of the new bottle can hold the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Now, it might be a little deep for some of you this morning, but you'll get it. That's what He does. Great illustration of that is seen in oak trees. Oak trees are great. They provide shade in the summer months, but they don't uh, most oak trees don't lose their leaves in the fall. The dead brown leaves hang onto those limbs until springtime comes. 
One of my, uh, growing up down in Wildemar, we go down to Fallbrook, Live Oaks Park. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. It's a huge park in the, in the hills over there. That park, we love that park. The shade, everything else. But those trees were very, they're just ugly in wintertime. But this is what happens in spring. When spring comes, the sap in those oak trees rises in the tree. The new buds begin to push out from the end of the branches, and the old leaves are forced to fall away. The new life in the tree expands and causes that which is dead to fall away. That's what Jesus did. A great example of that oak tree. The old way of sin and self will hold on as long as possible. Religion, religious traditions, all of these things cannot repair the old man. Those things merely hold him down for a little while. When you and I got saved, Jesus moved in. He created a new life in us. That new life he placed in us begins to work its way out from the inside out. That's how it works. Before long, the Lord has done, the work he's done on the inside becomes clear on the outside. As he changes the old man into a new man for his glory. The new wine of Jesus on the inside will burst the old wineskin of the old man on the outside. The flesh cannot contain the work of God. That's why you must be made a new man. The Pharisees and the disciples of John, why aren't you fasting like we are? Jesus said, I'm here. That's why you're not, you shouldn't be fasting. They didn't get it. Jesus said, you can't take a new piece of cloth and sew it on an old clothes. In all honesty, if you were going to patch them up in those days, you had to take some old cloth and patch it. That's the only way it would work, because it stretched. With the old, but putting new and old didn't work. And you take a bottle, a wineskin, an old wineskin, and put new stuff in it. It can't hold. To fulfill the law. Bring us into a new reality. The Jews, the disciples of John, couldn't figure it out yet. Hey, this morning, same goes for us. If, you're, if there's anything that you're trying to do to earn your way to heaven, you will never earn it. You can never earn it. It's what Jesus did for you. And you might be fasting, you might be doing this or that, trying to earn favor with God. You don't earn favor with God. You know how you get favor with God? Through Jesus Christ. That's how we get favor with God. What a great little passage of scripture, isn't it? I probably would have just skipped over these verses. But man, do you see all the good stuff right there? Think about those wine bottles and that old and new and the Holy Spirit in the life of us. Man, I was, I was thrilled I was going to preach this last week and then I had to wait a whole week to preach it. That's why salvation is so important. The Holy Spirit can't work in your life unless you're saved. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, today's the day to trust Him. You can't put the old with the new. The new goes with the new. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't come to point us to the law because we'd all still fail. 
can and say, no, I fulfilled the law so you could have grace. Father, we 